0: If you've gone to the doctor and been frustrated by a lack of options, then you've probably experienced the effects of a lack of research on women's health and the effects of certain diseases on women. In fact, it wasn't until 1993 that a law was passed to ensure inclusion of women and other underrepresented groups in health research. Many of us see this as an important health equity issue, but you may be surprised to learn that it also affects our country's bottom line, impacting all of us, no matter our biological sex or gender. Our guest today created an organization that is dedicated to understanding the economic impact of a lack of funding for women's health research and creating solutions to address this important issue. Hi, welcome to Beyond the Paper Gown. I'm Dr. Mitzi Crockover. If you're new to the podcast, I want to welcome you. And for those who are returning, good to have you back with us. I want to invite all of you to check out our website at beyondthepapergown.com, where you can share your comments, find articles on the topics we cover here, and sign up for our newsletter. We've also been creating some great social media posts lately on Instagram and TikTok, so check them out and let us know what you think. And just a reminder that while our goal is to inform and educate, our podcast is not intended as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Today, I am so excited to be able to talk to Carolee Lee, who is CEO and founder of WAM, which stands for Women's Health Access Matters. Carol Lee, welcome.
1: Thank you, Mitzi. Delighted to be with you.
0: I tell you, I've kind of been following you from afar um, for the last year or so, and I was so interested in what you're doing because what you're doing really is approaching research in a way that I don't think anyone else has really done. So I'm going to ask you to explain what WHAM is and what it is you're trying to accomplish.
1: Well, first of all, you're absolutely correct. We are trying to approach research and women's health. In a way that has never been done, by asking questions differently, uh, which is often challenging for us to do. I think we tend to follow the the beaten path uh, and not to stop and say, "How might we think about this differently?" And that is exactly what we did. So, WAM was really created um, in response to the considerable funding gap and the historical exclusion and the underrepresentation of women in health research. And as you very well know, Mitzi, women have been historically left out of medical research or certainly um, minimized in the, uh, in the medical uh, research areas that we should be involved in. Um, and even for diseases that differentially and disproportionately impact us, uh, such as for example, lung cancer, which we were releasing our lung cancer report, which is the fourth report that we released this year, um, because it is Lung Cancer Month, and because it's uh, the number one killer uh, of of cancer in women, which most women don't even know.
0: Yeah, I want to just underline that, because I think when people think about cancer in women, they think immediately breast cancer, which is the most common. But most people will be surprised to know we experience more death due to lung cancer, and it's increasing in women.
1: That is correct. Women, non-smoking, so, so you are absolutely right. Uh, uh, non-smoking women uh, are twice as likely to have uh, to get lung cancer as non-smoking men. We've done a great job with breast cancer because of early detection. We've not done a good job at all in lung cancer because there is no, or such little early detection. But the fact is that uh, lung cancer kills more women than uh, cervical, ovarian, and breast cancer combined. So it is, it's um, a lethal disease uh, unless it's caught early. And as I said, there isn't a tremendous amount of early diagnostics at this point. But um, yeah, so I think what I w- was saying is that women traditionally and historically have been left out of medical research, even for those diseases such as lung cancer, which disproportionately affect us. And it is this um, medical research gap that is a major obstacle to not only achieving equity in healthcare but to advancing the health and well-being of women around the world and a healthier society and that's basically what we were trying to focus on but let me put it a little bit in perspective and tell you how i got to where i got to which is that i think i think you need to look at data and i am a very data driven person having built a business and relying on data in order to drive that business forward and Women are the majority of the population, and they're 50% of the workforce, and they control over 60% of the wealth in the, in the country, and they are responsible for 85 trillion dollars, 85% of spending, which is um, $11 trillion, uh, I think it was last year, and over 80% of the healthcare decisions are made by women. So the bottom line is that women drive economies. Um, and up until now, we really have lacked data about the economic the costs, cost, the benefits, and the social impacts of attention to sex and gender in health uh, research. Um, and surprisingly, as you alluded to in your introduction, no one had evaluated the economic consequences of the status quo, the costs that we incur, the benefits that we leave on the table when research under-includes women. So no one bothered to ask the question of how does this impact the economy? Everyone was more focused on um, uh, health re- women's health research, more from an equity uh, point of view or an equality point of view or social justice, which it is all of those things. But it's more than that. Because if you look at the data or listen to the data that I gave you and realize that women drive the economy, if women are healthier and if, if this, the idea being, if, if we did more research on women, could we make them healthier? And if so, what would the economic benefit and gain be? And that was the question that we really asked. So in 2019, I brought together a group of businesswomen to ask the question of how could we look at this situation differently and what might that mean? And uh, that was how WAM was started.
0: And so just to go back a little bit, talk a little bit about but your background, because you're not a scientist. Um, you, you deal with data, but it's a very different kind of data. So talk a little bit about that.
1: Um, I don't know that you need to be a scientist to be an advocate and or to become involved in um, causes that you feel strongly about or that you want to champion. I have always been interested in women's health from the time that I started my company because My company was 85% women. And I realized pretty quickly that if women were not in the the workplace, I suffered. And they suffered, obviously. And so I always tried to keep my workforce very healthy. That was difficult to do. This is 25 some odd years ago. um, Because there were no health clubs per se. And the kinds of information uh, and technologies that we have today, we certainly didn't have then. But I was fascinated by my own health and well being and what I ate and how I worked out and um, how I felt, uh, and tried to um, imbue that in my uh, workplace as well. And I think I did, and I think that makes a difference. And then, in addition to that, I was on the board of the Breast Cancer Research Foundation from the day that it started, basically, for 25 years. So I do understand how research happens, I do understand how that. Uh, organization uh, dynamically built uh, awareness around breast cancer uh, and, and included women globally uh, through the uh, distribution channels that it was able to create. And uh, so, I have I do have more of a background than you might think. Um, in that, uh, those experiences certainly created um, uh, an impact in in how I thought about women's
0: health. Well, I think that's what's you know true of so many people that have um been very focused on women's health especially recently but our lived experience I mean that means a lot and that uh is very valuable. So you talked about the reports that WAM has done so talk a little bit about what you found in um some of that research and who your partners are.
1: Sure. So what we decided to do when we asked the question of how could we ask the question differently of how would you improve or how would you change, how could you impact women's health research, which basically um, out in Aspen at a wellness conference that I was hosting, I I presented data just to see how my community might react. This was actually before was started, which was to say uh, 66% of the population or two thirds of the population that has Alzheimer's are women yet only 11% of, uh, or 12% of dollars are allocated by NIH to studying women. And I would give data on each of these different bullet points. Female mice were not included in clinical trials until 2016. And it just went on and on. And I kind of watched everyone's faces, and I realized that, that no one was really kind of believing me. And I said, this is not my data This data comes from Hadeen Jaffe, uh, who runs the Connor Center up at uh, Brigham Harvard, um, and from Carolyn, Missouri, who is at Yale. um, And I collaborated with them in order to establish this data, because I thought all of you, as women, would be interested in this, and you should be outraged by it, frankly. Uh, It wasn't until 1993 that women were part of clinical trials. And the data goes on and on. And it is outrageous if you think about it. 52% of the population driving the economy. What's wrong with this picture? So uh, basically, uh, what we decided to do was to ask the question of what would happen to the economy? What would happen to women, their families, and the economy if we were to accelerate women's health research? And so we commissioned the RAND Corporation to do a study. Um, a rigorous focused study um, that showed the, to quantify the costs and the socioeconomic benefits of increasing research uh, focused on women. And we chose four areas to study, which we knew disproportionately, exclusively, or predominantly affected women. And they were brain health, heart health, autoimmune disease, which is 80% women, and cancer. And that was very intentional. Um, and I think you had asked the question uh, that we had not included reproductive, and we had not, predominantly because there is a, a fair amount, a fair body of research um, that uh, centers around reproductive health. And I think that is because for years, that's what women were viewed as. So uh, that was a very revealing uh, moment, of uh, asking Rand to create that uh, those reports. It took a year. Um, and I can give you uh, some of the top-line data. Um, So Alzheimer's disease costs our economy $305 billion in 2020. Billion with a B? Billion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Women are 66% of the patients or two-thirds, twice as likely to get Alzheimer's as men, not because we live longer, and yet only 12% of research dollars are focused on women. Heart disease, coronary artery disease, costs our economy $555 billion a year and is the number one killer of women, yet only 4.5% of dollars are allocated by NIH to just studying women.
0: I was astounded when I saw that. Exactly. Right.
1: Yeah. Autoimmune or rheumatoid arthritis we picked as the, as the uh, area of study because it takes women out of the workforce so much earlier. And it costs the economy over forty billion dollars a year. Women are seventy percent of the patients, yet only seven percent of research research dollars uh, focus on women. Now, let's get to lung cancer, which I said is um, our um, area that of, of um, study that we released this month. And lung cancer costs the economy over twenty three billion. And it's the number one cause of cancer deaths, as we said earlier, in women, yet only 15% of research dollars focus specifically on women. It's like, I don't need to be a scientist. I need to be a business person because scientists might not look at it this way. Exactly. And and I think also candidly, having different perspectives from different parts of the ecosphere is very important because if we act in silos, then we'll stay in silos. And if we look across those silos, which is what we're trying to do, and bring an economic lens to this, maybe scientists will think differently. And maybe therefore, the results will be different.
0: Now, that makes a lot of sense. And so when you saw, you know, those numbers, what were your solutions in terms of the hypothesis, for example, if you were to change that, what would the results be?
1: Well, so that's a really good question, because remember, when we started this, we had no idea what Rand would find. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's a pretty gutsy and risky thing to do. What if they didn't find results that were quite as profound? And by the way, they too felt that the results were quite profound. And then the question becomes, what do you do with the results? So now we're working with different groups... Uh, to figure out how to take this data and implement change. And where can the greatest change take place through having this data? And it turns out it will be in a lot of different places. The first place that we realized, although we had never set out to become an advocacy group, um, and and our partners are, and I'll get to them in a second, was to Mm -hmm. understand that policy needed to be impacted by this and should be.
0: Policy is what determines budgets for the, uh, for the research in general.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so our partners who we had um, throughout and had and has supported us throughout the findings of these reports are the American Heart Association, La Jolla Institute for Immunology, yes. uh, Bright Focus Foundation, uh, and uh, GoTo Foundation, who um, is a leader in the, the lung cancer space certainly Go-to Foundation and the American Heart Association have very big advocacy platforms. And I do believe it will be up to them to drive the advocacy piece of this. However, uh, we had um, uh, a roundtable that we had hosted where Tammy Duckworth, Jan Schakowsky, Haley Stevens, um, and uh, Don Byer and a couple of others um, were
0: listening. Congresspeople. Right.
1: Congress people were listening, and Haley Stevens from Michigan in particular said, what do you mean we don't have—what do you mean we don't—I mean, she <laughs> just went ballistic. Yeah. And actually, um, um, Jan Schkowski and Tammy Duckworth presented a resolution in Congress to double the budget, as Rand had found— by taking if you took 175 million which was the numbers allocated to the first three reports so that didn't include lung cancer at that point so 175 million you doubled it to 350 million you got 13 billion in return now if you're a business person that's good ROI <laughs> that's a pretty good ROI yep it's like in some cases 174% of you know i forget which one but it's a significant uh, impact that could be made. So let's see what happens with those resolutions. Obviously, we're uh, helping and hoping that they will get passed. That's one step. The other step is academia, um, and so we're going to have pol- we're going to have business, policy, academia, uh, the public at large, and um, and I think there are di- many different opportunities. So. Um, Let's take business. We actually give grants uh, to early stage researchers uh, who otherwise might not be able to explore the research that they're interested in based on sex as a biological variable. And um, those grants have been uh, very significant in terms of launching uh, different careers.
0: At this point in our conversation, Carolee spoke about the La Jolla Institute for Immunology, also known as LJI. She serves on LJI's board. I had the pleasure and opportunity to interview the Institute's CEO, Dr. Erica Ullman-Sapphire, in a previous podcast about sex differences in research, as well as the importance of supporting women in bioscience careers. Not surprisingly, these two leaders have joined forces in their quest for making sure sex is a consideration in research, even at its earliest stages.
1: Erica understood the value and the importance and the urgency and the profundity of the data that WAM had um, acquired through these reports and has taken it uh, and transferred it into a lens by which she now looks at all research at the Institute. So if I do nothing else in my life, if I've had that kind of an impact where she is now looking at the cellular structure of male and female cells in all their research, that's, that's huge. That's a, that's a major shift uh, that any and every institute should consider. More importantly, it is an opportunity if women are own 60% of the wealth in this country, it is a huge opportunity to tap in to women who would clearly have an interest in areas in which they've been affected, and support research. So this is not very difficult to follow, follow the yellow brick road. And therefore, I think WAM's ability to influence academic institutions is enormous. And that ultimately, as you can keep going, would influence the return on investment
0: Sure. And the other way that you're also influencing research is not only by funding the research, but funding the researchers. You alluded to that. And, you know, we both know that now that there are more women in science, clinical practice, um, entrepreneurship, and as well as funding now we're seeing a little bit more attention and movement being made. So talk a little bit about how you're also uh, inspiring and also supporting uh, women researchers.
1: Well, so uh, through our collaborative, which is our uh, desire and intent to bring together the uh, leading men and women in uh, women's health research, um, the collaborative is uh, a group of leaders who we bring together at least four times a year to share ideas amongst each other, but also to be a voice of helping to direct um, uh, WAM and uh, point us uh, to the areas of interest that we should be the most focused on, or areas of need. And we learn from them, they learn from us, we we all learn from each other, Uh, and uh, for example, Um, In uh, 2023, it'll be the 30th anniversary of the Revitalization Act that was passed in 1993 um, that said that uh, women and minorities should be included in research and clinical trials. And we are are already far, far down the road of um, putting into motion a series of programs that we'll be hosting around where, where we were 30 years ago where we are today and where we need to be and how we'll get there.
0: And I'm assuming that you are focused mostly on the United States?
1: Uh, No, you know, that's such a good question. We um, are just finishing um, our global study. It won't be as detailed as a report because clearly that would be very challenging uh, to handle the economic impact from country to country. Sure. Uh, but it will have top-line data about rate of uh, incidence and uh, other other important data globally. So that's just about finished. Uh, and no, we have a number of um, global members, but we expect to have many more.
0: And do you plan to do any follow-up? I guess the point is, is that we have to make changes in how we fund and the amount of which we fund research. Do you have plans to... Follow that and see if uh, those results that you anticipate are actually happening.
1: So you're asking me, do I have measurable, I think you're asking me, do I have measurable objectives to some extent? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the answer is yes, but but I'm also very oppor- opportunistic. I think just like when we engaged RAND and we had no idea what we might find, the kinds of partners that we're beginning to speak to are not partners that I might necessarily have considered before. Um, And I think there are many different ways for us to have an impact. I can't sit here and tell you what they all are, but I did, for example, a couple of weeks ago, speak at the UN uh, at a terrific uh, conference called The Silver Economy. And that was um, an extraordinary assemblage of experts uh, having to do with, obviously, Uh, the world of uh, an aging economy. Now, if you look at, for example, the fact that women live at least five years longer than men, and if most disease occurs in later years, if you think about research that would reduce the incidence of disease in women, now start thinking about, and this is something we are working on, start thinking about what is that economic impact?
0: Sure. You know, and obviously, one of the most under researched areas that I can think about is menopause. Mm -hmm. And it's not a disease. (laughs) Let me put that out there. But it's certainly a condition um, that affects every woman, should they get to that age, as well as you know, we're seeing it increasingly um, in the workplace, which I'm sure you um, also observed as an employer. So any plans to look at that from the same kind of standpoint that you've done the other conditions?
1: Without question. I mean, I think we've just started. And, and you can say, well, menopause, obviously, exclusively and predominantly, and differentially sure. affects women. Yeah. And of course, it should be studied. Um, I think it just it, I think it was for us important to look at the diseases, uh, the, tr- um, the diseases which created uh, death uh, certainly, mm-hmm. and for which either there wasn't a diagnostic or the, the diagnostic and the and devices were so missing, uh, and point out those vast differences. And I think that was sure. our first um, uh, lens by which we are looking. Now we're starting obviously to look at those conditions which do have a tremendous impact and effect on women, such as menopause.
0: What other ones are on your list?
1: I think one of the areas that I'm particularly interested in is, uh is in longevity and how women, how women not only age, but how they, what is it about us that makes us live longer?
0: Let's just do that than men. Sure. And how is WAM funded? And if folks wanted to get involved in some way, how could they do that?
1: Oh, well, thank you for asking that. So first of all, they can get involved by going on to whamnow.org, w-h-a-m-n-o-w.org, or the WHAM Report, whamreport.org. Um, there's a tremendous amount of uh, fascinating, I think, data on those both sites, um, and they can click on donate here and certainly contribute to the research that we're doing, and that would be um, very much appreciated. And that would keep us moving forward. (laughs) Um, And they can also sign up for a wonderful newsletter that we put out uh, every other month. Uh, WAM is funded and was funded originally by a group of 25 businesswomen and is today still funded predominantly by that group as well as our partners. And we are in the process currently of uh, establishing relationships with additional partners for funding that we're going to need in order to Uh, create a growing and sustainable 501c3, which we are. So uh, as a not-for-profit, as you are perfectly aware, um, Mm -hmm. it takes a tremendous amount of time and energy uh, to raise those funds uh, to be um, prolific, profound, and impactful. Mm
0: -hmm. As we're wrapping up, what did I not ask you that you think is important?
1: I think it's important for women to understand the data that WAM has uncovered. For several reasons. And probably the first one is that we often assume that our medical community who takes such good care of us has all the answers and they don't. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. They do a phenomenal job, but they don't have all the answers. And I would highly encourage women, for example, when they go to a physician and the physician offers a prescription that they ask the question, has this drug been tested on women? And I promise you that most physicians will say, I don't know. (laughs) And I would urge anyone to make sure that they know if it has been because 80% of the drugs removed from the market last year were removed because of adverse effects on women. And believe it or not, drugs can cause as much harm as they can cause good things. So it is important, for example, that we start asking more questions. I think it's also important that we don't take it for granted. If one doctor says, I don't know what your problem is, it's in your head, find someone who's not going to tell you it's in your head because women are often misdiagnosed and, and it can take, especially with autoimmune disease, for example, sometimes up to seven years to be diagnosed properly. That is not acceptable to me and it shouldn't be acceptable to you or any other woman. And then you have the whole issue with heart disease and women going to the emergency room with symptoms different than the typical clutching of the chest. Often proper testing is not done. Often they're sent home with an antidepressant and often they have a heart attack. Women are twice as likely. uh, to to die actually, I think it's 1.5 times as likely to die after that first heart attack than men. There's not enough data. So if WAM and other organizations can push uh, for augmenting dollars to have more research, we would have more data that would understand and be able to answer why all these situations exist in women. In my opinion, the only way that this will change is predominantly through women, because we're the ones who are the caretakers not only of our families, but of ourselves. And if we don't ask the questions, nothing will change.
0: So well said. Carol Lee Lee, founder and CEO of Wham, thank you for coming on the podcast today, but also thank you so much for the work you're doing. It's really important.
1: Oh, thank you, Mitzi. It's so much fun to be with you and it's so great to see you again and talk to you. Oh, thank you so
0: much. Thank you for being a part of our podcast today. The links to WHAM and to the upcoming webinars Carolee mentioned are included in our podcast notes and on our website at beyondthepapergown.com. You know, our mission at Beyond the Paper Gown is to inspire and engage women so that they can be their healthiest. So I'd like to ask you to help us reach more listeners by subscribing and rating us on your favorite podcast platform. And I thank you for doing so. Our podcast was produced by Patrick Shambayati and me, and our associate producer is Kyla McMillian. As always, thank you for listening and be well.